Good morning. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Brian Anderson. This is Cannabis is a Good Neighbor podcast. Uh, we're on episode eight and really excited today to have Mike Lamoto with us. Mike, I will let you introduce yourself and, and we'll kick it off. Awesome. No, Brian, thanks for having me on here. Uh, I've gotten O'Brien actually through my role at the National Cannabis Industry Association, uh, where I head up the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Um, I've been doing that in, in an official capacity for the last two years with the organization. Uh, prior to that, I spent two years uh, serving on the DEI committee as a member uh, via my company, Dow Mastery. Uh, Dow Mastery, the, we basically provide coaching services uh, to cannabis or cannabis professionals uh, looking to really get their, I guess, get their get their minds right. I think I would say more than anything else, uh, you have to really have your mind right in this industry, really in the world, of course, but especially in this industry with all the twists and the turns and the stresses and the lack of uh, really sub- structured support that exists. And so we look to provide that uh, through Dell Mastery. We also do some consulting as well. Um, but with uh, the NCAA role, you know, uh, my, my main thing is that I basically, my role is to figure out how do we make sure that we create structures and systems within this national organization that allow for a natural and organic uh, flow of people into the industry that want to be in the industry, basically, that maybe have other barriers and barricades that are kind of placed there, uh, whether it's uh, intentionally or unintentionally by the different uh, powers that be. Uh, So my role is really how do we create these structures that facilitate people being in the industry that they want to be in. So uh, yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that's where I'm coming from. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, so this is Cannabis is a Good Neighbor. And and as in that, we're breaking things down for people. This is, you know, our audience is wide. We're casting a wide net with this podcast. And so I'll break a couple of things down there. So NCIA is the National Cannabis Industry Association. And that's where you and I, as you mentioned, overlapped. I got involved in that organization in 20... Actually, it's a funny story. I came to the NCIA through the CCIA, through the, through the California Cannabis Industry Association, and great folks over there, um, and then got involved with, the, with committee work. Uh, and that's, I think, where we, how, how we involve. So, you know, as, as an architect practicing in, in cannabis, I was looking to give back. I was looking to get involved and say, and I think you just described what, very well how your, how your involvement through the, through the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee is really helping to promote people's access to knowledge and to, uh, to share that knowledge. And that's where we that's where we initially I think overlapped was setting up this hot seat idea. So there were some phenomenal people out there are and continue to be phenomenal people on the committees at the NCIA and they bring forward just a huge sense of volunteerism, right? This is these are these are cannabis people all with different backgrounds, some in retail, some in manufacturing, some in construction, some in law, some in all kinds of things, right? Um and they're giving their time back to the industry. And, and we overlapped where I think you had created this idea of a hot seat. And so members of various committees were able to, who were coming forward and say, maybe having issues, right? Having problems, hurdles, right? We all have hurdles every day, right? I like this industry because we've all been told no. Right. The cannabis industry has all been told no over and over and over. No, you can't smoke weed behind the gym. No, you can't go pot in, in the basement. And no, you can't have $22 million to build your, uh, your ideal <laughs> cannabis facility. Right? We've, and yet we persist. Right? And yet we persist. And so how do we share that knowledge? Um, so this is really exciting. Tell me more about, uh, about what DEI is at NCIA. And let's get into it. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Um, and just first off, for the hot seat that you mentioned, um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of hot seats. Uh, hot seats, for those folks out there that, that aren't really sure what that is exactly, it's where you basically sit on the seat and you, uh, you know, um, receive ask the me anything, input. Think, ask, ask me anything, me anything. right? Absolutely. Yeah. You receive the input of everybody in that room. <laughs> um, or, you know, at least if there's a facilitator. And so in the case of uh, what we were doing is we, we have a call called the Power Hour. It's a Zoom that we do. Every Thursday, it's one hour, a power hour, <laughs> uh, and uh, that's led right now by Michael Webster. I handed the reins off to him last year, and so we usually bring somebody in from another committee, um, or really just anybody from the industry that really wants to give back, and uh, they do an Ask Me Anything session. Uh, usually, we start off with announcements from the group for 20 minutes, and then we head into the Ask Me Anything for a good 40 minutes. Um, and so what happened was, um, I believe it was uh, David Valancourt um, last year as chair, um, and we, we brought in Adrian or Jesse Porter from your committee. I can't remember. It was like a yep. couple different folks. Adrian Givenko Adrian from Givenko. Inspire. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, we brought them in as, uh, as a guest and, um, that led to your committee actually starting its own, uh, hot seat situation where, um, instead of one of you coming and joining our group, uh, someone from our group would go and join your group and sit on that hot seat where there was another 14 or 15 facilities, facilities design experts to be able to weigh in on that one individual's problems. Um, and that's looking like it's evolving now into something that could turn into uh, taking that and turning it into further educational information because we recognize if that one person's having that problem, there's probably another thousand out there having a similar problem. Um, and now we're seeing the Banking Financial Services Committee follow suit, uh, the HR committee is following suit. So a lot of different committees are getting into this format because we think it's a great way to uh, not only help that one person, but also be able to scale that out uh, and help many. Um, and so that brings me to, you know, your question, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, so, you know, one of the things we do in this is uh, we prioritize for the hot seats uh, our uh, equity scholarship program recipients. Uh, so, look, any NCM member is eligible for all these different um, benefits, but we make sure that the priority goes to the folks that maybe have a little less access to some of the resources that are generally out there because um, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we, we really do provide the impact for folks and meet them where they're at, right? So, you know, to your point, uh, lack of capital is one of the biggest issues that we see in the equity community in cannabis. And so that brings with it a whole other set of problems, right? And so we want to make sure that folks that maybe have a little bit less access to capital can at least access these other resources that can then make it uh, a little easier to get towards the capital, I guess I would say. Um, and that's really what a lot of it comes down to. When you talk about diversity, you know, diversity doesn't matter unless you can figure out how to create equity at the same time. Um, inclusion, important, but again, Equity is really that key word in that three word term. Um, so, you know, if you have diversity and folks are, you know, different ethnicities and colors and creeds and religions and stuff, um, but they're not getting the ownership in the industry, then we're family. And right now, right. that's what we're seeing overall um, is that there's a lack of ownership um, by for sure. There's I, I think all the stats are out there at this point. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the goal that, we're, that we have is, look, this is a long term thing. If we're looking to create generational wealth, it's going to take a lot of foundation building. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, I think, where where what diversity, equity, inclusion, in my opinion, really comes down to. It can't be just performative metrics of, hey, now there's a certain amount of people in this room or a certain amount of people in that room. It has to be we've also created systems and structures that facilitate equity. So anyway, I don't know if I'm rambling there, but that's kind of my, my take on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fa it is it is fascinating. And there's a parallel. There's a parallel here. Um so I'm an architect, right? And we d design and build facilities. And so we bump up against not only the capital markets 
you know, each of our customers needs that capital, but we also bump against state regulations. And I bring this up for a really interesting parallel is that the cannabis industry has been subject to is required new legislation in each state that legalizes the activity, right? And the interesting thing to me is um, I came to cannabis after 20 years. I already had 20 years working in various regulated industries. Well, legislatures in states have put hurdles in front of cannabis, no matter who comes into cannabis, that they do not put in front of other industries. This is fascinating. And why? Why has now cannabis been subjected to energy regulations that it far exceed what the oil and gas industry has ever been subject to. Really interesting, right? So you right. see this level of stigma applied from the beginning, right out of the gate. It comes out and suddenly the state of Illinois says, oh, you can't do this. And the state of Michigan says you can't, the state of Illinois says you can't grow outdoors. Right. What's up with that? I mean, my answer is pretty much, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, say that any one legislator is, is, is you know, uh, at fault for this. But my belief is that it's just more of the barriers and the barricades that the war on drugs really put out there in the first place, um, which is that we know, you know, state regulators know when they put these things into place that there's only going to be a certain sliver of folks that really can navigate these, these extremely uh, challenging barriers. Uh, I mean, you look at the state of Colorado, for example, and when Colorado legalized uh, adult use almost about, about a decade ago now, yep. uh, they literally excluded people who had cannabis offenses on their yep. records from being able to participate in the industry. Um, so, you know, it, it, that, that, I thought that to me really set the tone for so much of how legalization has happened, where it's almost this thing of like, hey, um, we now see the value in cannabis, the tax value, the, the, the social value, all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, to good neighbor policy, you know, good neighbor podcast here. We right. know that cannabis dispensaries uh, go into neighborhoods and they actually help the neighborhood. We know that crime goes down. That's right. So, uh, but no, so, you know, look, you know, they, they set up these barriers and, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of this so-called social equity programming out there, uh, for lack of a better term, it's very performative, right? We kind of show and say, hey, we care about social equity, but then we know when we put these uh, regulations in place that it's going to be extremely challenging for folks that have been impacted. And I mean, at least we've gotten to a point now where the folks that have been impacted can move to the front of the line to get the license as opposed to 10 years ago where they were literally excluded from right. getting any, even, even employment. So, right. Right. Uh, you know, so we've come a long way, but it's kind of um, ridiculous when you look at it from the perspective of why we had to come this far in the first place just to get to here. And now we have a multi-billion dollar le legitimate industry and folks are still struggling to get into. So anyway, that that's my soapbox right there. But well, I think it's important. You know, no, that's yeah. that's lit, uh, no. It's I don't. Uh, it's it is an important soapbox. It is an important one that I'm trying to give amplification to in my humble way through having you here on this podcast. Because without constant pressure, without constant reminding, and constant talking about this, it's it 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 won't it won't change. And right. so I'm excited by it. Uh, in in you know. In many ways, because because this is a really fun industry. This is a really interesting thing get in, industry to be in. It has nothing but benefits. Um, here we just did a ribbon cutting in, in the state of Mississippi, and Mississippi only has three million people, and they have the highest per capita opioid addiction, and the big the biggest piece that is presented is pain. So opioids are are, are prescribed in Mississippi, majority of them for pain. 
the company um, that we designed and helped and helped to get construction and get built, uh, Southern Crop, is bringing a gel cap to market that doctors can prescribe specifically for pain. So cannabis is being used in the great state of Mississippi uh, as an off ramp from opioids. Right. There's just there's there's stories, there's rampant, abundant stories in this industry that are really, really powerful and important to get behind uh, and to promote. And so um, tell me about some of the other things that you're doing, because I know, Mike, you are involved in a lot of things. So outside of the NCIA, I know that you are involved in policy and regulation in a number of different aspects. Tell me about some of those. Yeah. And actually, most of that's through the NCAA. Most of the policy regulatory type stuff that I work on is actually okay. directly through the NCAA. Um, one of the things that you actually, uh, you know, again, we're talking about volunteerism. Really appreciate your volunteerism. You came and joined uh, as an Ask Me Anything. Uh, you came and joined one of our recent uh, New York Social Equity Roundtables. Um, and so the New York Social, Social Equity Roundtable is one of the things that I think I'm proudest of, of what we're really accomplishing here at the organization, what we have the potential to accomplish, not only in New York, but other states, which is um, putting together a lot of organizations all in, at one table. Uh, I, th- I believe there's about 15 that participate in some capacity, and there's about 10 that participate on it regularly. Um, and these are organizations that are national, like MCBA, M4MM, um, Justice Foundation, of course. Um, they're amazing. Cheryl Murray Powell. Uh, and then, um, you know, we also work with uh, some of the local groups like NYC Normal or NYC CIA, uh, you know, so there's, and the local chapters like NHCC's, you know, tri-state chapter. So a lot of different folks that we work with, we bring to the table and what we're doing is we recognized uh, kind of a pattern, right? So I started out in California, that's where I'm from. And I saw that when legalization happened, there was not a lot of organization amongst folks that were really committed to what we're trying to do, making the industry more equitable and inclusive. Um, there was a lot of people that were doing that work, but very separately, right? Um, because it was still brand new and there was so many, all the different silos that were happening and you know, a lot of regulations in California were up to the individual municipalities. So, okay, California, as we all know, a little bit of a, of a madhouse. Um, so even though there well are put, lots of, well put. right, exactly, you know, lots of licenses, but not a lot of, um, you know, not, not as many success stories as we would like to be seeing at this point in time for something that right. had so much potential. Uh, then we looked at Illinois, and this was, Illinois was about four years ago when our committee, the DEI committee, was starting out. And we tried to start to do something there, weigh in on policy regulation. But, you know, again, it was we weren't as organized. Illinois was a little more organized with folks by then, uh, but we weren't as organized as, a, as, a, as an organization to really be able to, to play a part and weigh in. And so when New York came online uh, a year and a half ago, whatever it was now, uh, Dr. Adams, actually, Dr. Adrian Adams, uh, the M4MM uh, New York State uh, rep, as well as a member of our DEI committee at, at the NCAA, um, he came to me and he said, hey, we got to figure something out. We got to do something. And so then we said, all right, you know what? We have enough organization and structure now at our organization. And there's all the folks on the ground out there in New York. So we decided, let's start putting this together. And so what we do is we, we basically come together every two weeks. We hash it out. We talk about what are the issues that matter right now. And we figure out how to put together, whether it's public comments, whether it's a, a recommendation letter, we send it off to OCM or the governor or whoever it may be. Um, and, and I think the most important thing about this though, is it's getting us on the same page. It's getting, uh, you know, and we don't always agree. I mean, the reality is we often do not agree about a lot of things, but what we do is we find the common understanding, the common ground, and we figure out how can we advocate together. And yep. I think that to me is the real power, the real power that we have as the NCIA, 
Um, and as all these organizations, as we, if we can work together and come together and figure out how to navigate these waters together, then we can really, I think, see the potential carried out that these organizations have. Because a lot of times people get frustrated with, our, with us, right? They get frustrated with all of our organizations because it's like, hey, we talk about this, we do webinar on that, but what are we really doing? And I think what we really need to do together is get together, get on the same page and work and advocate for the people that we say that we represent. And so that only happens if we get our egos out of the way, which the round table is amazing because everybody puts their egos at the door. And, you know, we're talking about New York, right? So New York, it's like, <laughs> you know, people, you know, we, we, in New York, you bring, you bring yourself right to the table, right? Yeah. But the beautiful part is that it's folks that have a lot of power and a lot of strength in themselves, but have enough so that they can take that ego and put it aside. And that is something that I think is so important in our industry in general. People needing to do more of that is, I think, one of the things that, again, back to today, the good neighbor, being a good neighbor means putting yourself in check and realizing that it's not always about you. And, you know, it's about the, the mission. It's about the, the bigger picture. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm coming at from this one. So New York, so New York is right. Um, coming online, it's have it's bumpy. It's uh, it's all over the news the, 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 you know, there's 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 lawsuits coming out of Michigan that shut down, put moratoriums on certain counties across the state. Then those are lifted. Um, the governor's under pressure to get things open because things don't seem to be happening very fast. And yet, um, so I was part of a podcast, uh, a uh, webinar uh, that was done through the RII, the Resource Innovation Institute, and I was blown away. We had John Kagia from the OCM. I don't know if you know John, uh, great member. He was there to talk about energy policy, and we had over a thousand people register for that webinar. That's unheard of. You know, right. 50, 60 people will register for a webinar. 400 people attended on the day of. That's amazing. 400 people actually attended this webinar. And so what, what that tells me is that there's, and this was about um, getting into the cannabis uh, cultivation uh, facilities, facility design. It was about facility design relative to energy, relative to all kinds of questions came up around it. That tells me there's a lot of interest. Uh, most people answered a poll. People who answered the poll said uh, that they were not coming from a four-year degree in botany. They were not coming from the horticulture industry. These were people coming, my my presumption, maybe I'm stretching it, but saying they're coming out of the illicit market. And these are folks who are probably already growing cannabis successfully in the state of New York, looking to transition from an illicit market into a into a legalized structure. There's an enormous amount of energy in the state of New York to do that. How can people get involved? How can um, uh, so we know that the the DASNY program? We know that there has been that the state has looked at the landscape of other states uh, and concluded that. Many people of color, many people coming out of prison have gone bankrupt, waiting around for their license to come through, finding a piece of real estate and paying rent for four months, six months, 12 months. In Massachusetts, I watched it happen. So there's a, um, there's a really, I think there's a good intention behind what DASNY is attempting to do in New York, but is it worth, you know, uh, is it working? Is yeah, it, the execution is it, isn't there yet. You know, the execution's um, not there. And, uh, you know, to your point, I mean, I think that they were correct in their analysis that the real estate is a major issue in other places. Um, yes. You know, as far as the solution, um, I, I think that a lot of people questioned it from Jump Street, right? I was among them and said, hey, okay, this sounds great on paper. How are they going to actually execute this? And uh, so a few months in, however many months it's been, 
we still aren't anywhere near where it needs to be. Um, and at the same time, we also need to recognize that New York is still further ahead than most other states that have attempted this in the first place. So it's this constant balancing act uh, that I find myself in personally, where, you know, you don't want to be overly critical, but you want to make sure that you're critical enough that you say, okay, these are the issues that are here and they need to be fixed. And here's some potential solutions. Um, and so with DASNY, with, uh, you know, the, and you bring up a good point, actually, with, with I want to bring that, go back to that a little bit is, you know, the, and I know I use, I like using the word, you know, uh, legacy for what we call illicit and, yep. uh, and I like to use the word um, regulated for the, the legal uh, you know, yes. market because just because, uh, I mean, myself coming from the legacy space, I like to, you know, I, I had to actually unlearn some of the terms that I used to describe myself even, which definitely impacted my, my mentality around it, you know? Um, and so, you know, calling, saying legacy, I feel, uh, allows us to recognize, okay, yeah, this is what actually came before. This is what's been yeah. going on. And so we need to create pathways to help legacy folks get into the space. Now, yes. one of the things that I bring up a lot is that it also means that legacy folks need to recognize that not every single legacy grower is going to become a craft cultivator uh, at that level where you need, at this point in time, still, uh, you know, a couple million dollars or a million dollars, whatever it is to get off the ground. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't have a skill set that you can use and take and parlay into the industry because what were you best at as a legacy grower? Mm. Um, and it do- isn't always that you did everything great from A to Z. It's that there was an aspect of the process that you were great at. Maybe it was even branding and marketing yourself, right? Uh, so you know, maybe you have a brand that you've basically developed in the legacy market, in the legacy space. Um, I had a conversation with somebody just last night. We talked about a year ago. And one of the things that he said had helped him out was that was in the conversation that we had had uh, in, in that year ago, realizing that he didn't need to get a license himself. And so now he's he's, he's blowing up, right? He's, he's, he's going to multiple states now uh, and being invited to different places. I think he said he's being invited to Boston to do some stuff. He's a mixologist, right? He doesn't right. need to get an infusion license and go through the process of getting, you know, uh, getting the license, getting funded, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of legacy folks, I feel... Um, there's this kind of hoodwink that's happening where folks are being told, Hey, here's this pathway. We're going to help fund it. We're going to get state money. There's all all these programs and ways for people to get into the industry. And then the reality is very different. And to your point, by the time they get to the end and they go, Oh, wow, I wish I had known what I know now back then. And I would have saved myself the, you know, a couple hundred grand that I had saved up over the last 20 years or whatever it was, because that's all gone now (laughs) and I can't get more funding. So yeah. What you're talking about are pathways to success, exactly. creating multiple pathways to success and recognizing one's skill sets. And so, yeah, I think as we talk about cannabis as a good neighbor, I think that folks who don't know what's going on in the cannabis industry, yeah, need to hear terms like legacy. This is this is where we came from. We come from a legacy. We have an incredible knowledge of genetics, right? The, the reason we have the genetics we have today are because of people working in the formerly illegal market, which we're calling legacy, and developing techniques. And despite the lack of engineering, despite the lack of regulation, doing incredible things uh, with the plant and figuring out how the plant works. Now that we have a legal market, we want to create pathways. I think you bring up a really good point, which is that not everybody needs to use that one pathway, which is a license issued by a state because it requires an enormous amount of cash and an enormous amount of time. And there, I think the NCIA, 
uh, you know, I'll, I'll put a plug in here for the NCIA as a national organization. Um, there are many throughout the state of New York, if we're staying on the topic of New York, that are organized organizations where people get together and talk, right? Um, the one you talked about, the DEI committee or the, I'm sorry, no, it's the New York City what is the New York State uh, group? The um, New York uh, Social Equity Roundtable. Social Equity Roundtable. Thank you. That is made up of members of the NCIA. So um, I guess what I'm trying to open up here is that there are many pathways to success for people uh, coming from all aspects of the industry. And recognizing and getting involved in an organization can help to bounce ideas off of other people, maybe give that mirror back, that reflection back to say, oh, I could do this within another organization maybe this is maybe let's help put a resume together and put that resume in front of other people so there there are multiple multiple pathways to success 100 percent. you know what I, i'm really glad you brought that up because you know look i'd love it if everybody joined the ncaa and it was the right fit for everybody and we do have um, an equity scholarship program that does provide drastically discounted membership for that first year and when i say drastically i mean it's drastically yeah. um so but aside from that look my thing is Regardless of whether it's NCA or some other organization, find a group, find a group of people that you can really plug in with, right? It's what yeah. I do with my coaching company too, right? Find people you can jump in with and bounce ideas off of. It's one of the right. most invaluable things in this industry. I made the mistake the first few years that I was trying to get my license and switch from legacy to regulated. I made the mistake of being in the silo of me and my team of founders, right? And, you know, we had our, our, you know, our friends and other folks from the legacy space. And, you know, we had some folks that were trying to make the tradition too that we connect with here and there, but it wasn't anything really organized and structured. And we really were in our own silo. And I believe that's why we made so many mistakes that eventually led to that failing. Uh, and so, you know, what I realized is that we have to be plugged in with other folks because, um, so actually uh, on this point, I think by the time that this recording comes out, we'll have already run the first a round of workshops of the equity workshop tour for 2023. It's uh, Chicago, Detroit, Jersey City, and Brooklyn. Uh, by the time this recording comes out, we'll probably have done this already, but we, we are looking at doing another tour in the fall and in the winter, we're looking at going to different parts of the country. And the main point in the tour is to get people into the same room, having these kinds of conversations where we can talk real with each other and we can build community and we can figure out how to learn from one another and not make the same mistakes that we could really avoid by just having those conversations. Again, it's where taking the ego out of the equation comes into play. And yeah. I know and it's a balancing act, right? Because if you're a founder and you're a founder in cannabis on top of that, which is to your point earlier, uh, an industry full of barricades and barriers, uh, there has to be a certain amount of strength and ego behind what you're doing. But at the same time, you have to have that balancing act where you say, okay, great. I'm going to push forward. I have a ton of confidence in myself. I believe in everything I'm doing. And I don't know A, B, C, D, E, and F, right? <laughs> so. Right. You know, so I think it's it's a balancing act, and that's why again it's important to plug in with others that you vibe with, that you align with, that have a similar way of looking at things, but not where it's an echo chamber either, right? You need there to be enough diversity of thought and background in the room to be able to challenge you and challenge your belief systems. So anyway, yeah, you know, I think that's that's a powerful lesson for all of us in in cannabis. I mentioned to you that I had a career before coming to cannabis. And one of, you know, I, I was trained as a professional, meaning I had a professional degree. And for 
that can be limiting in terms of running my own business because I didn't learn how to run an architecture business. No one in school teaches that. And I had to go out and find ways in which I could learn those skills. Those were not innate skills. Someone who comes to cannabis, wants to start a business, knows how to grow, knows genetics, knows how to hunt for phenotypes, knows how to, maybe they're a mixologist, as you mentioned earlier. Maybe they um, are formula, maybe they have a degree in science, right? Uh, biochemistry and uh, learned how to formulate cannabinoids and terpenes and, and create these wonderful things. That is not an education in how to run a business. Right. And, and yeah. <laughs> right. It, uh, absolutely. It, so, so one of the things that I did, and again, I'm going back to my experience, my personal experience to help illustrate this was just to say that I joined a networking group. Holy cow. Right. You know, what, what uh, I'm knocking my head against the wall. I'm getting scars on my head. I'm, I'm bleeding a little bit. What, how do you know, I'm making, I'm falling down, making mistakes. And I just, you know, I, my banker was part of this networking group and says, Hey, come on, we meet on Friday mornings and we get together. It's a room full of diverse people. Um, we all are doing different things. And I learned from that experience. I spent 15 years in a networking group, learning how to network yeah. and standing up in front of people and speaking. I, I learned, I had to teach myself that I had to go out and find those, find an ability to do that. And yes, it cost me money, meaning I had to pay to belong to a networking group, but it, benefited me enormously because of those referrals and the, the, the learning curve. And so I think that this is, I'm trying to echo or underscore this diverse pathways to success and the importance of joining an organization that we can't get there alone. Anyone out there with bruises on their forehead to prove the sort of street cred. So we're all just trying to lock elbows. We're all trying to come up with uh, how do we, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats is the, is, is the sort of analogy. How do we uh, spread what we know and create a forum in which other people can learn from that? All right. Yeah, no, I, I think that what you're saying there is, is so key. I really wish that entrepreneurs uh, put more investment of their time and their energy and their money into developing their entrepreneurial skill sets. Uh, it's one of the things that we offer through Down Mastery, of course. But again, I don't care whether or not they come to Down Mastery or go to NCA. I just want to see people succeed. And that means investing in yourself in those ways. And you know, to your point, I mean, you know, the skill set of learning how to talk in front of a group of people. As an entrepreneur and as an advocate, especially in cannabis, it's, it's, it's vital. And yeah. the only way you really get to that experience is by getting that experience. You can't just expect to uh, go from never talking in front of folks to then standing up in front of a room when your business is on the line and making an automatic pitch. Now, it's not to say that some, sometimes there's the founder story that has that story, right? But that's, just, that's why we hear that story, because it's that one time that somebody went from there A to Z and got some investor to say, oh, wow, I totally believe in your vision. But the average person has to pitch a couple hundred times or speak to their family and friends and, you know, and get shot down before they then go to their next round and the next round and the next round. So why not hack that and become part of a networking group? Why not hack right. that and get yourself a coach, somebody that can help guide you through that process? That's right. Uh, yeah. And again, it's the ego. I, I think, and it's also you know, our training in our society where we spend zero of our curriculum as children and then as young adults learning how to be business owners. And I mean, that's the reality is school system set up to create employees. It's set up to create a workforce, not to create people that can then create wealth. So, you know, take that for what it is. <laughs> it, it, yeah. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And, and so 
wrap. So looking at, so opportunities for involvement, uh, I think is, is the key here is the takeaway. And I think I like the way that this conversation has evolved, Mike, there's, there's, you know, it brings it back to sort of real experiences, you know, hearing how, you know, how, how you uh, learned through running, you know, through running a business, through, through running a training camp and how you bring that to what you do uh, through the National Cannabis Industry Association is really, really helpful. Um, um, I don't know how to top that. Yeah. Anybody listening, wanting to get involved, there are so many ways. Just jump in, get involved, right? A pitch decks don't create themselves. Knowing how to use Google slides or learning how to use PowerPoint, uh, is, is, um, you know, can be fun once you learn, once you learn how to do it, but may, having that make sense to, to an audience, um, isn't always just, doesn't just come to you. It, 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 it takes, it takes years of practice. Yeah. And you know, another thing I'll throw out here is that everything sounds great in our own minds, right? Yep. Everything sounds great when we're sitting there at the computer making that pitch deck at the end of the day. What we have to do to be successful is to fail forward, right? To constantly put ourselves out there and take that criticism, take it on the chin and be like, hey, yeah, I, I totally got my, you know, they handed it to me, right? They said, hey, this is missing A, B, and C. You need to go back to the drawing board. But the, the, the number one trait, right? You see it all over the place, right? There's all these different quotes out there about what makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur. And it's persistence, perseverance, yep. number one trait. Because yes. we can all be brilliant people with great ideas. And once you get out there to execute, <laughs> it's just not going to be the same. It's yeah. not going to happen as like you thought it was, right? Absolutely. And, you know, this industry, cannabis, is, is still a nascent industry. Despite being, yes. I don't know what I read, $26 billion industry. Um, a, we've got problems. We're still putting people in jail in some states. But the result of it being a nascent industry is exciting. It is the energy. That uh, does build the people I met in 2014, 2015. I'm still running into them today, and that's right. really exciting because being part of a small community that is rallying together, locking elbows—I use that term before. I like, you know, just how do we how do we help each other succeed? How do, because the legacy market is still massive in this country, and people need to see an opportunity to jumping over into the legal market, into the into the the current regulated market where the public has the assurance of benefits. I mean, the thing I, those, the assurance and benefits of that regulation, that regulation gives customers the knowledge this product's been tested. Um, and I hear the stories, right? People don't continue to buy from their guy with a backpack because, or excuse me, they do continue because their guy with a backpack has never let them down, is never going to give them fentanyl, It right? Now those relationships exist, right? And I want to, you know, underscore that there's what, the legal market, what the what the what the regulated market allows, is an evolution towards the consumer products goods industry, and cannabis right. is going in that direction, and it's going in that direction fast. No, you you raise a great point, you know, because I think there's this stigma and fear around that people kind of stir up that oh, the unregulated market, it's all laced with fentanyl and all this kind of stuff. No, it, it wouldn't thrive and succeed the way it does if you went to your dealer, you went to your guy. And he was giving you waste product. The reason it succeeds and it thrives is because most of this product is actually high quality product <laughs> that quality. is not full of all these contaminants and stuff like that, right? Um, now that doesn't that doesn't mean that we can't improve upon that. It doesn't mean that as we get regulated, we can't make sure that we use good manufacturing practices so that those other things like the you know the the, the little bits of mold or the little bits of uh, you know bacteria and things like that don't get into you know there. But it's it's not the massive, uh, you know, a reefer madness, uh, kind of an issue that people talk about. Um, right. and I think the real issue here, again, we go back to the pathways to success because it's really about 
How do we make it so that folks can get into the space? And to your point, look, end of the day, it's not that you can't make cash and you can't thrive in the, in the legacy space. Absolutely, we've seen that you can. The, the issue is that at some point in time, when do you want to start building that legitimate generational wealth That's that you it. can take out of that legacy space and without having to go through a million hoops and ladders to try to launder your money or do whatever else it is, be able to exist in a place where you can buy and invest in other that's businesses right. and in other industries. And that's I think right. that's what this opportunity really is about, is not just being stuck in a silo of cannabis even, but coming into the space where you can take your earnings and take your wealth that you build and invest it and diversify it into other industries and other economies and other markets and other countries. So Benefit your neighbors, benefit your family, benefit exactly. your community uh, from that knowledge. And I think that's the, the new legacy we're trying to build, right? The new legacy we're trying to build is that it's, um, and it's hard work. I think we're all learning this, yeah. this lesson. It's not easy. It is not euphoric. I don't want to paint a rosy picture here. It is as hard work because there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of stigma and there's racial stigma that still exists uh, in legislation, in banking, um, Everywhere. Um, Everywhere. I mean, within every organization that we're talking about, right? And even in organizations that are minority run, there's still a lot of work to be done, right? There's still a lot of space that needs to be figured out because we are coming from these spaces where stigma has been ingrained in us, whether we like it or not. Even if we grew up in spaces that uh, cannabis was accepted in, there was still the other aspect of things that we were very conscious of, right? right? Like growing up in San Francisco, it's accepted out there. It was always accepted. And at the same time, it was also like, well, I sold weed, so I didn't tell anybody that I did, right? And because it was still not uh, a, a, a viable profession, right? It was right. still not something that was uh, celebrated, so to speak. So I would kind of make the other aspects of my resume that were very thin and lean uh, bigger. And what that did to me mentally and psychologically, I think, was was more important than whatever it did like to my bank account or anything, right? Because it, it, it put me in a space where even now, like, I've started to get used to you know, um, posting on LinkedIn, for example. I still go through this whole thing every single time I put a post up and every single time I get a post that is actually a good post and does well, I'm nervous as hell and I'm nervous that what's going to happen now? Like what's the, and not just the normal, like, oh, you know, I'm afraid of success. It's more so this concept of um, I'm coming out of the shadows and who's going to see this that's going to like, you know, just I'm going to be hounded or arrested or whatever else it is. Right. And it's not a logical thought, but it's definitely ingrained in me. And so I know that there's a lot of other folks out there that, struggle with this because when I talk to them and coming out of that legacy space, it's, it's more than just simply saying, Oh yeah, I want to have generational wealth and I want to have a license now and I'm okay with paying taxes. Right. It's so much deeper than that. And it's why these conversations like this one and conversations in groups of people and, you know, finding your community are so important um, because there's a lot of work to be done. It's not so simple. <laughs> and, and especially when you combine all the other things we've talked about, what it takes to be an entrepreneur in the regulated space, it's a journey that that, 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 that that people need help and support on, or we all do. And, you know, I don't, I don't talk about myself and my business on these podcasts a lot, but I will say and put it out there for anyone listening that there are opportunities to become an architect in the cannabis space. And that is open to anyone who wants to, you know, Regardless of your skin color, your hairstyle, you can you can come into the uh, to the architecture space and be an architect uh, and improve the world through through you know better engineering, better design. Uh, that is that is that is um, there's many ways to get into this space the, to the cannabis space. Um, there are some phenomenal engineers out there who are practicing in this arena. 
Uh, and so there's opportunities through engineering. There's these ancillary businesses, right? One doesn't only have to be an entrepreneur to work within the cannabis space. There are so many different uh, side and service organizations that, that um, the picks and shovels, right? You know, we don't all have to be a miner, but, uh, but there are ways in which we can support uh, and benefit the industry. Um, and um, you no. know, certainly as an organization, as my company, trying to make that possible. So, something else on that point is that, um, whatever you also do come in as just get your foot in the door uh, because cannabis is constantly evolving, constantly shifting, constantly pivoting. The word pivot is the word we used to use all the time in the industry. You don't hear it as much now because uh, I think the word pivot just kind of got really tiring, but it's not that we haven't stopped having to pivot maybe even at a higher rate. <laughs> mm-hmm. We just got tired of saying the word. My point is that a lot of folks, um, you know, there's that hesitation. You don't know if you should jump in the pool or not, right. Or how you should jump in the pool and where you should get into the pool. And what I want to throw out there is, if you come into the cannabis industry, there's a damn good chance that three to six months later, you're going to be doing something completely different than what you thought you were going to be doing. But if you are open to the path and open to following your path, you'll find where it is you're supposed to be. Um, yeah. It may take a while and that's where the persistence and the perseverance comes into play. And also where, you know, now in hindsight, and I didn't have the option of, uh, you know, when I made the transition, transitioning into cannabis from something else that I had as a career that I could still keep making money in for 90% of my income while I figured out the cannabis space. But most of the people I talk to are coming from a space where even a lot of legacy space folks still have some other kind of job or career going on the side, you know, I don't know on the side, but you know, at the same time. Yeah. And what my recommendation is, is put your toes in the water with cannabis, start figuring out where you belong, join these groups, join these, these conversations and figure out how to kind of navigate it while you still have the benefit of income from something else that's a little more steady and stable than cannabis is, which is extremely volatile. Um, And and that I think is, is the key there to, to being able to be a good neighbor. Again, coming back to the the, the name of this podcast, it's like, you know, to be a good neighbor, you have to be uh, able to pay your bills. You have to be able to, to, to continue to live and support yourself. Um, Don't just throw everything out the window and jump into the cannabis industry. Um, That's, that, that, that's definitely some advice out there out there. (laughs) Awesome. Mike, this has been fantastic. Thank you for uh, joining me. Um, we, I look forward to running into you at, at future events and uh, good luck in, sh- what is it, Chicago, uh, New Jersey. Brooklyn uh, and Detroit, yeah. Brooklyn and Detroit. That's yeah. a whirlwind. Um, thank you for joining. Uh, have a great day and be well, sir. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm.